Well, that choir and orchestra have been practicing again, hadn't they? They're getting ready for next Sunday. I'm excited about next Sunday. I hope that you are. Next Sunday morning, our choir and our orchestra will be presenting a Christmas special. You'll want to be here and bring somebody with you next Sunday for that great, great special event as we celebrate Christmas and celebrate glory to God in the highest. And so I trust that you'll be here next Sunday and you'll bring somebody with you. And by the way, if you'll go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 13, I'm going to continue today. I'm going to take a break after this week, and then we'll be in the Christmas choir and orchestra be next Sunday, and after that we'll have a Christmas message on the 23rd. And of course on the 24th we'll have our annual Christmas Eve service. We're looking forward to that. And then we'll have a message there on uh, December the 30th as well. Then I'll do the State of the Church Address on January the 6th, and then we'll get back into Revelation. So we're going to take a break after today, uh, after chapter 13. So I trust you're praying for these services, and I trust that God continues to bless, and uh, He is blessing, by the way. And so, uh, by the way, let me uh, mention neighborhood evangelism while you're finding your place in Revelation chapter 13. Neighborhood evangelism. You can pick up your flyer. We have plenty of flyers in the foyer and also in the gathering space. Pick those up and pass them out this week and invite your neighbors. This is a chance that you get to meet your neighbors in your neighborhood evangelism and loving your neighbor. You get to meet them and hand them a flyer. And with handing that flyer, just invite them next Sunday to hear our choir and our orchestra and also invite them on our Christmas Eve service on December the 24th. So if you'll do that, I guarantee you they will appreciate it. They will appreciate you taking the time to come by and visit them, and then you'll be so glad you did because you're participating in neighborhood evangelism. And so tonight at 5.30, we're going to be meeting with some representatives from your neighborhood. We've identified almost 40 different neighborhoods that we're going to start with. And so tonight at 5.30, we have representatives from your neighborhood, your subdivision, that are going to be here tonight. Brother Randy and I are going to meet with them, and we're going to lay out the plan for them, give them some materials, and just take a few minutes. We'll be about 30 minutes in room 112. So if you've got an email or a phone call from one of us, you need to be here tonight at 5.30. Then we're going to commission our leaders right after this service tonight, uh, today. And so we're going to, we're really excited. Expecting God to do something great through neighborhood evangelism. I am. I hope that you are. And we're excited. I'm excited about my neighborhood. I really am at Piney Creek. And so I have a team there I'm going to be working with. And we're going to go out and really try to get our neighbors, those who are unchurched, in church, and maybe win some to Christ. Amen. Are you with me on this neighborhood evangelism? Say amen. amen. Or say oh me if you're not. All right. And so we'll pray for you. All right. But anyway, get to know your neighbors. Little Johnny was out in the yard, and guess who came by? His neighbor, his neighbor, Mr. Wilson, came by, and there's little Johnny out there in the in the uh, in the in, out in the yard. He said, "Hey, little boy." He said, "Hey there." He said, "My name's Mr. Wilson. What's your name?" He said, "My name's Johnny." He said, "Well, Johnny, just, do you live here with your parents?" He said, "Yeah, but my dad's in prison." He said, "Your dad's in prison?" He said, "Yeah, my dad's in prison." He said, Mr. Wilson, do you know how prisoners communicate in jail? He said, no, little Johnny, I don't know how prisoners communicate in jail. He says, duh, cell phones. <laughs> they use cell phones. You'll get that in a minute, all right? By the way, it's, uh, some of you are drinking too much eggnog. All right, you just got, you had not loosened up enough. 
But anyway, uh, get to know your neighbors. Really, get to know your neighbors in your subdivision, your neighborhood. And I'm telling you, you'll both be winners, all right? Now, in Revelation chapter 12, last Sunday, I introduced you to a trio. We talked about the woman who represents Israel. We talked about the child who represents Jesus. And we talked about the dragon, the dragon who represents Satan. And so we talked about that, and I mentioned the unholy trinity last Sunday. The unholy trinity is Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Now, as we come to chapter 13, we're going to see the unholy trinity unfold. We're going to really see this unholy trinity today, especially the Antichrist and the false prophet. So in chapter 13, as John continues to see the vision that God has given him, I want to speak today on this message entitled, The Tale of Two Beasts. Now, we need to remember the first three and a half years, we're looking at the seven-year tribulation period. In the first three and a half years, the Antichrist takes on the role of a peacemaker. We've talked about that in length. And so the Antichrist is the peacemaker. He's involved in the Arab and the Israeli conflict, kind of brings that together and brings peace there in those first three and a half years. And so then he makes a covenant with Israel. You can read about that in, uh, in Daniel chapter 9. Israel makes a covenant, if you will, with, the, with, the, with Israel. I mean, the devil makes a contract, or the Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel to protect them for seven years. And so this protection that the Antichrist gives them, and they don't understand who he is at first. They just think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? And so they begin to follow him and worship him. And he allows Israel to rebuild the temple and reinstitute the, uh, ritual, uh, the, the, the rituals there, the religious rituals. And then in the middle, you need to understand this, in the middle, the, th- the second three and a half years of the seven-year uh, uh, tribulation, the covenant stops because he's a liar, right? He's a liar. So the covenant stops, the rituals begin to stop, and the Antichrist sets himself up, get, get this, in the temple as God. And that's been his goal all along. And so we see the first three and a half years of tribulation, peace, peace on earth, and then he really reveals his true character as the Antichrist in the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. So we're going to talk about the beast today, the beast, two beasts, the tale of two beasts today. So number one in your outline, the beast from the sea, the beast that comes up from the sea. Now, we're going to read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 13. So read with me. Then I, John, I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns there were ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. We'll talk about that later on, and also chapter 17. There's a lot of parallel to chapter 17 and chapter 13, and we'll allude to that today. But he has his seven horns, or seven heads, and ten horns, and ten crowns, and the heads of blasphemous God's name. And now the beast, verse 2, now the beast which I saw, now notice this, he was like, he was like a leopard, and his feet were like that of a bear, and his mouth was like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, that would be Satan, we identified that, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his authority. And so as we look at this, we look at the symbolism. Now, 
John uses a lot of symbolism here. As we look at these uh, in a moment, we'll talk about that. But he uses a lot of symbolism to describe, if you will, the Antichrist. Now, he refers to the Antichrist not as a man, but as an animal. But we know that the Antichrist is a man. And we'll look at this because verse number 18 says he has the number of 666, which is the number of a man. So we do know that the Antichrist is a man during this tribulation period. But John is referring to him in this text as a wild beast, if you will. And so he's energized from hell. He's raised up from the bottomless pit. And we know that from the Revelations 11, 7. Now, I want you to think about this truth. It's in your outline. And by the way, on your outline, would you please take notes? Because you need to go back and do your study. It's hard for me to really unpack all of this chapter in 40 minutes or so or 45 minutes at the most. So anyway, it's hard to do that. So you need to take notes and go back and read that. Now, here's a great truth. You need to understand this truth. Just as Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, so the beast will be Satan in a human body. Just like Satan is an unholy spirit, if you will, but he's in the form of Antichrist and this beast, if you will, referred to as the beast as an animal. And so just as Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, so is Satan the, the uh, beast in this human body. Matter of fact, Jesus said this in John thirteen twenty seven. Remember the Lord's Supper, what Jesus said? Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. That was Judas. Satan entered him, and then Jesus said to him, What you must do, do quickly. So he's speaking to Satan. The Bible says Judas was a devil. And so Satan can enter a man, if you will, and possess a man. And so he did Judas. And so Jesus said, what you must do, do it quickly. So Jesus knew that. And so we see that just as Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, Satan is this beast in human form. And so you need to understand that. Now, here's another truth. Man becomes brutal as beast when he severs himself from God. You ever see somebody that you think, well, good night. How in the world could they do that? How in the world could that person commit such atrocities? How in the world could a human being go in and murder children? It's because they're the devil. It's because they've been inhabited, if you will, their mind. And see, that's why some of these games that people are watching, these things of satanic, we don't really understand the spiritual realm. I'm telling you, just as God is a holy spirit, the devil is a unholy spirit. And when you got people messing around with satanic stuff, the devil can possess you. It's unnatural for somebody to walk in and murder children in the grammar school. That's Satan. That's satanic spirit. And so we get to understand that. And that's what we're dealing with here in Revelation, especially Revelation 13. This beast is inhabited. This Antichrist is an unholy person, but inhabited by the spirit of Satan himself. And so uh, when world powers seek their own glory, we've seen this, these dictatorships and all of those things. Judas was about self-greediness. It was all about him. King Nebuchadnezzar, as we're going to see, uh, about self-glorification. And he even ate like a beast. Remember, he like a cow. He started eating grass like a beast. 
And so we need to understand that. So in, we're introduced here to the first beast of the sea is expressed in the world power of the Antichrist. Now this beast coming out of the sea is the Antichrist. All right, the first beast coming up out of the sea is the Antichrist. Now that word sea, he's coming up out of the sea, it's talking about humanity. You ever heard this phrase, a sea of humanity? Kind of what he's referring to, the Gentiles or, or the tribes and the tongues. He's coming up from all of the tribes and all of that. He's raised up from the sea of humanity in verse number 1 is this Antichrist. Now, in verses 1 and 2, it's interesting to me, and I hope it is to you, listen to this. It's interesting when you study prophecy, when you go back and read Daniel and Zechariah and Isaiah and some of those, they're seeing the same thing that John saw. And they saw it hundreds of years before John saw it. And John seeing what Zechariah and Daniel and, 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 uh, and Jeremiah and Isaiah, Daniel is seeing what they saw. So they had visions of heaven into heaven and saw in the future, and so is John. And so when you refer back to the Old Testament, when you refer back to these prophets, you see some of the same languages we'll see in Daniel. Daniel gave reference to these same three beasts as John saw, Daniel, uh, Daniel saw. And so that's why you need to go back and use prophecy when you're studying prophecy. You need to look at all of the prophecy in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. And you can help tie it together. It really makes your study interesting when you do that, when you do cross-references and use the whole Bible to come to a principle. All right? Now, uh, in verse number 1, it B, it says, He had seven heads, this beast, he had seven heads and ten horns and crowns on those horns. The seven heads represent seven mountains. Then Rome, it's a a clear picture here of Rome. Rome had seven mountains. And I'll show you this in a moment in Daniel, but I want to kind of set it up. And so it's a reference to the revised Roman Empire that's really going to come to play in the end times. So those seven heads represent those. And then the ten horns, this is also part in Daniel chapter 2. If you read about King Nebuchadnezzar made an image, he had ten toes, ten toes of iron. And so those ten toes are also representative of these ten horns or these ten kings, if you will. And so we'll look at that. Now, in Revelation, look at Revelations chapter 17. I told you this was a parallel to chapter 13. Look in Revelation chapter 17. And let's look in verse 12 and 13. Now, follow with me on this. I want you to see it. Now, in Revelation 17, verse 12 and 13, he gives us insight. Now, he talks about uh, the seven. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet. This is, the, this is coming the revised Roman Empire. This is something futuristic. He says, the ten horns which you saw, the ten kings which have received not, no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. Now, this is talking about the Roman European Confederacy, if you will, these united uh, European Roman, the revised Rome coming together as a united force in the end time along with the beast. Remember, the first three and a half years, they are all with the beast. I mean, they're supporting him. He's just this great leader and all of that. And then he turns on the, second, uh, the last three and a half years. And then look in verse 13. They are of one mind. This is that one world power, the universal, 
They are of one mind, and they will give great power and authority to the beast. So they will be worshiping this Antichrist in the end times, this confederacy of these nations coming together. So that's what he's alluding to there as the seven heads and the ten horns. Now, uh, the three animals, look in verse number two, the three animals are the same three beasts, or if you will, that Daniel saw. Now, in, in Daniel chapter 7, verses 3 through 8, we'll look at that. The lion represents Babylon. These are those heads, if you will, part of those seven heads. The lion represents Babylon. The bear represents the Medo-Persia Empire. And the leopard represents Greece, or the Grecian power with Alexander the Great. Now, each one of them was progressing from one another. In other words, if you, if you read your text and you read your history, you'll know that uh, media, media uh, Persia overthrew Babylon, and then Greece, Alexander the Great, was even greater. And then came the fourth beast, and we'll talk about that one just in a moment. So this is the revised Roman Empire of the Confederacy of Nations. Now, Daniel mentions a fourth beast. Now, John mentions three right here, the leopard, the lion, and the, and the uh, uh, bear. Now, I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 7. So I want to show it to you. Let's just go there now. All right, turn to Daniel chapter 7. And I want to read, uh, uh, let's say, verse 2 mentions the sea, the great sea. And in verse 3, he gives us the same beast, the four beasts. Look in verse number 3 of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7, verse 3. And four beasts came up from the sea. Remember, we're talking about the beast from the sea. In John, uh, Revelation 13, 1. And the beast from the sea, watch this. The first was like a lion and had its eagle's wings. And then the, verse number 5. And suddenly another beast, a second beast, was like a bear. And then verse number 6. I don't have time to go into all of these, but look at verse 6. And I looked, and there was another one like a leopard. Now, Ezekiel, I mean, uh, Daniel saw the same three things that John is seeing. John's looking back. Daniel was looking forward. Okay? Now, watch this. Now, I want you to watch verse number 7. I want you to focus on this one. And then, and John doesn't allude to this, but Daniel does. And this I saw in the night vision, and behold, there was a fourth beast. Dreadful and, uh, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge teeth. It was devouring, breaking into pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. This is a reference, the fourth beast is a reference to Rome. Now look back to Daniel chapter 2. Now I want to be, they don't have this on the screen, but I was looking and watch this. Look in Daniel chapter 2, and look in verse 39 and 40. Daniel chapter 2, verse 39 and 40. But after you shall, but after you shall, this is talking about Babylon. This is talking about the other, the other powers, the other three beasts. But look at verse number 39. After you shall rise another kingdom inferior to you, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. This is Babylon, Media Persia, and uh, Greece. But look at verse number 40. And the fourth beast, Rome, shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch 
As iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like the iron that crushes, that kingdom will break into pieces and crush all the others. Now, you need to go read all of that chapter, all of chapter uh, uh, Daniel chapter 7 as well. And uh, I'm just telling you, when you read that, you'll find that its progression, Rome is really, you remember how strong Rome was, and then it ended, but it's coming back, the the. the power of Rome, the Roman Empire, is going to be revised in the last days before Jesus comes and overthrows it all. Now look back in uh, chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. I hope you didn't lose your place there, but Daniel chapter 7. I want you to look at the rest of this. I want you to look in verse 8 and following. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, which was a little horn. Now watch this. Coming up among them. Among who? Among those empires. Among those heads, if you will. He's referred to as a beast with heads. The heads are Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome itself. And so a little horn arose out of those which is the Antichrist. Referred to here as a little horn. Watch this. Look in verse number 8. I saw all those horns and I saw a little horn coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Or this was a man. This is the Antichrist. These words mean he's intelligent. He's fluent in his speech. And he's going to rule and reign in the seven-year tribulation period. Now back to chapter 13. That's the background. I want you to see it. All right. Now stay with me. So with that in mind, I want you to understand who this Antichrist is. Now remember, he gets his power from the dragon. The Antichrist and the false prophet, if you will, are in the flesh of the spirit of Antichrist, or the spirit of Antichrist is Satan. All right? Now, listen to this passage of Scripture. 2 Thessalonians 2.9. On the screen, watch this, New Testament. The coming of the lawless one, that would be the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders. And you're going to see that as we unfold here in chapter 13. Satan has a lot of power. And by the way, God's still in control. God gave him that power. All right? Now... A couple of things I want you to see. Number one, the worship of the beast. Let's watch this in your outline, the worship of the beast. Look in verse 3 and 4, chapter 13, verse 3 and 4. And I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast, thought he was dead. And so they worshiped the dragon, that would be Satan, who gave the authority to the Antichrist, the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who in the world is like this man? Who in the world is like this Antichrist? I mean, this dude has so much power. He was killed and he came back to life. I mean, this is the Antichrist. We're worshipping him. And they did. And look at verse number 4. They worshipped the dragon who gave the power to the beast. And then verse 5. And he was given a mouth, speaking great things. Remember Daniel said, what he just said about him, he had pompous words. He was given a mouth who could speak great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue 
three and a half years. So we're looking now at the last three and a half years of seven-year tribulation. And so Satan has been given a period of time here, along with the Antichrist, up to the last part of this seven-year tribulation period. All right? And then then all hell is going to break loose. And we'll talk about that when we get into the last part of Revelation. All right? Now, they were worshiping uh, the beast. Did you know that Satan, all through his term, has desired to be worshipped? You remember in Matthew chapter 4 what he told Jesus? If you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Of course, Jesus wouldn't do that. But that's what he wants. He wants to be worshipped. And here we see that he is worshipped through the Antichrist. And we see his masterpiece, this Antichrist, are there marveling at him, of his power, and of his words, and of his good looks, his charisma. This is a, he has a dynamic personality of charisma and speech, of pompous words, if you will, and intelligence. I want you to listen to this. David T. Moore wrote that a NATO official... The NATO official was once quoted as saying this in one of the meetings. He said, What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of people of all nations, to lift us out of an economic mess into which we are sinking. Send us such a man, be he God or be he the devil, we will receive him. This was a NATO official. Just give us somebody that can get us out of this economic mess that we're in. And so, what's, what will cause people to marvel and worship this beast? Well, one of the things is he's an imitator. Do you know that Satan imitates Christ? He's imitating the resurrection. We know that Jesus died and he was resurrected on the third day. Well, same thing happened here with the Antichrist. He was killed, but yet he rose. He was mortally wounded, verse number 3. And he came back. (coughs) So we see the power that he has, if you will. He came back. One of the seven heads, just speaking of Rome, is going to be revised with him. And so we're seeing all of this played out. And so the healing of this beast, the Antichrist, John doesn't give a lot of detail about that. Number two, the words of the beast. Look in verse 5 and 6. Verse 5 and 6. Look at the words of the beast. He was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months, and then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. See, he's blasting God, blaspheming God as well. And so that's what Satan does. And he has, he, like most dictators, he has risen to power. He's affluent in his speech and with his words. I don't know if you're old enough to remember. Some of you are. Some of you have seen this. But Adolf Hitler, when Adolf Hitler was taking over the European world, if you will, He was making great speeches on TV to all the people. As he began to take over all these European nations, he began to speak. And he did so with power. People were mesmerized by him, by his speech. And so that's kind of what's going to happen with the Antichrist. They're going to be mesmerized by this guy. He's intelligent. He has great speech. And they're going to fall for all of that. 
like a host of politicians and even a lot of preachers like Jim Jones and others who can impress people with their affluent, eloquent vocabulary. They can articulate every word in every syllable. Kind of makes me sick, right? But they have such great speech, such oratory, where the people are just mesmerized, hanging on every word. Look in Romans chapter 16. It's not in your outline, but Romans chapter 16. I want you to see this, what the Apostle Paul says. By the way, the Apostle Paul was very affluent, very educated. But you know what he said? I don't come with you to eloquent words or speech. I come to you with one thing, and that's preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Look in Romans 16, verse 18, or mark it down. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, desire the hearts of the simple. And see, they can speak and talk and people just, like Jim Jones. How in the world did Jim Jones get 900 people to drink the Kool-Aid? Because he mesmerized them. He could speak and twist the words where, oh, he's such a great leader, pastor. And 900 of them took committed suicide in Uganda there because of that. And see, this, you see this, and that's real. And you can see how the Antichrist is going to do all of this. If you just think about that, you really can. And so Satan is a great orator, and uh, he blasphemed Christ's name. Here's a great truth in your outline. Satan can do nothing without God's permissive will. He's got a lot of power, prince of the air. But he can't do anything Unless the God allow. By the way, you remember Job chapter 1? He said, oh, your servant Job, let me have a crack at him. And God said, okay, you can do anything but take his life. What about Jesus in Luke chapter 22 when Jesus told Peter? He said, Peter, the devil has asked to sift you. He's asked me if he could sift you. But Peter, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. So you see, there's a spiritual ram there that we don't understand what's happening there. And so Revelation gives us a little insight into that. And then the war of the beast, number three, number C, the war of the beast. And look in verses 7 through 10. It was granted to him, the Antichrist, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Now, this is the tribulation period. He's going to make war with some of those who were saved on earth. Now, watch this. And authority was given him over every tribe, every tongue, and nation. This is in the tribulation period. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life, that would be lost people, whose names are not in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity goes into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience or perseverance of the saints, the faith of the saints. And so we see this war where God will permit Antichrist to have war with his people even, or on earth, and he will defeat those, and they'll probably be martyred because he's going to be blaspheming the name of God, and everyone whose name is not in the book of life, they will be following the Antichrist. But some who are Christians have their name in the Lamb Book of Life, they're probably going to be slain by the sword or some other means by the Antichrist. And so... uh, And so now that leads us into the second beast, all right? Number two, the beast from the earth. That's the beast from the sea. That's the Antichrist. But there's another beast 
that comes out of the earth. So let's look at that in verses 11 through 18. Now watch this, chapter 13, verse number 11. This is the beast from the sea, the second beast that comes out of the earth. Now look in, look in 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 7, just for a moment. Just turn over a page. And look in 11, Revelations 11, verse 7. When they had fi- this is the witnesses. When they had finished their testimony, this is the two witnesses, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war over them and kill them. And so here we see the beast out of the earth comes out of the bottomless pit. Now look at verse 11, and we'll read verses uh, uh, 11 and 12. Then I saw another beast. Now the first beast was the Antichrist out of the sea coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like the lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. Now watch this. He, he, he was like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. And he exercised all authority, exercises all authority of the first beast. All the authority of the first beast, this one has, in his presence, and causes all the earth, or the earth, those who dwell in it, to worship the first beast. So this second beast is causing everyone to worship the Antichrist. Now watch this. Whose deadly wound was healed. That would be the Antichrist. So as we look at this second beast, we see that uh, uh, in Revelation 16.13, Revelation 19.20, and Revelation 20.10, the beast from the earth is referred to as the false prophet. Now the first beast was the Antichrist. So write those down, Revelation 16, 13, Revelation 19, 20, Revelation 20, 10. All of those refer to this one as the false prophet. This is the third person of the unholy trinity, Satan, the Antichrist, and now the false prophet. So what's going on here in, verse, in chapter 13 and verses 11 and 12? The dragon is the counterfeit father. The uh, Antichrist is the beast who's the counterfeit of Christ. And then the third person of the unholy trinity will be the one that counterfeits the Holy Spirit, which would be the false prophet. Now, let me ask you a question. What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit of God? The purpose of the Holy Spirit of God is to help us understand God through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit points us, draws us to Jesus Christ. And so this unholy false prophet as the Holy Spirit of the unholy trinity is drawing people to the Antichrist. Remember, they're all worshiping the Antichrist. And so this false prophet, his duties, if you will, he's helping Satan, used by Satan, to point everybody to this Antichrist, who's this pompous speaker and all of that. And so that's what the the false prophet's trying to do here. And so we need to understand that as well. And so... uh, The image of the horns, look in verse 11 and 12 again. The image of the horns suggests the false prophet has authority. Now notice he only has two horns. Only has two horns and no crowns. This is the little horn in Daniel chapter 7. Indicates that this one, this beast is not about the authority, if you will, of the political realm. But more about the spiritual realm. Or the religious realm. Now you need to understand what's going to happen. I'm just going to go ahead and share it with you. And I don't have time to look at all of it. But watch this. You have Satan. 
His power is giving the Antichrist power. The Antichrist is a man. He's a person. It'd be like Jesus, God in the flesh. The Antichrist is a person, right? So he's mesmerized the whole world in the tribulation period. Now, what the false prophet is doing is bringing a religious twist to this now. See, the Antichrist has called all of these ten federations of European nations together in the political realm. But the false prophet's role is to help everyone now focus on the religious aspect of this Antichrist. And so he's coming and bringing people to the beast, the Antichrist, in a religious tone. Not only is he a great world leader, but he's also the great world religious leader of the world. Therefore, everybody thinks, well, he's a great guy, but he's also a religious guy. And so in the name of religion, the false prophet is starting to promote him as a religious guru as well. And so there's another reason why people begin to follow this Antichrist. And so, uh, I mean, he, he starts speaking such pompous words. I mean, he makes Jim Jones and David Caris look like a choir boy. I mean, this guy has all the skill, the charisma. He mesmerizes people. He can speak with eloquence in the political realm and also in the religious realm as well. And so uh, people begin to follow him. Why would, God, why would Satan, rather, use a false prophet as a key player in the tribulation period? Well, here's why. Everyone, everyone has a religious void within them. Do you know that? Everybody has some form of in, their, in them that craves some type of religion. Do you know that atheism is religion? Do you know materialism is religion? It really is. And so everybody has something that longs for something else. And so the devil is capitalizing on that with his antichrist and false prophet. He's feeling something innate in everyone that has a longing for this religious tone. And that's why he's raising up this false prophet during the tribulation period. All right? Now, let's look at uh, two things here. Number one, the masquerade of the beast. Look in verse 13 and 15 as I get winding down to close. All right? Verse 13 and 14. This Antichrist, this uh, false prophet, performs great signs so that even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. Remember? Second Thessalonians said Satan does great things, great signs, great wonders. He's given power during his time. Now, verse 14. And he deceives those who dwell on earth by those signs which he has granted to do, been granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And now this scene is moving into Jerusalem, and everybody's there in Jerusalem, the holy city. And now the false prophet is saying, we need to make an image to this guy. You wonder why we have all these statues of people? We're making an image of people because they've done something great, all that. So he said, hey, this Antichrist is a great, great man for all of us, a world leader. Let's make an image of him. And so they begin to make an image right there. Listen to this, right in the temple, in the temple during the tribulation period, because they're rebuilding this temple, remember. All right? 
Now, Jesus said something pretty interesting. Jesus said false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Jesus quoted that in Matthew 24, 24. And so he's masquerading. He's doing great signs and great wonders. Look at 2 Thessalonians with me just for a moment. Chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to show you this because I want you to get the picture. Now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look in verse 9. Paul is also writing about the lawless one or the Antichrist. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and wonders. And with and all unrighteous deceit, deception among those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth, the love of Christ. They did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. And you ask yourself, why would these people in tribulation not believe? Well, God sent them a great delusion because they've already rejected Christ. And so they're going to believe the Antichrist. They're going to believe this false prophet as well. It's a masquerade, if you will. And so in verse 14 and 15, it's given sign to the abonition of desolation. He builds this image in the temple. Now, since Satan could not gain control of worship in heaven, see, he was kicked out of heaven. He wanted to be God. He wants people to worship him. And so he couldn't do that. He would kick him out of heaven the next best thing is Jerusalem, the holy city of God. Let's just build this temple and let's worship the Antichrist. Similar to what King Nebuchadnezzar did, the king of Babylon, he made a great image. Remember that? He made a great statue and people had to bow down. And by the way, if you didn't bow down to the image, you were killed. Same thing's going to happen right here in chapter 13 in the tribulation period. And that's why those who do profess to be Christ are slayed or martyred. In this tribulation period, the rest of them are just praising him. So let's look at the last part, the mark of the beast. The masquerade of the beast is where he fools everybody. He's counterfeit. And then comes the mark of the beast. Look in verse 16 through 18. Verse 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, doesn't matter. You can be rich or poor, black, white, green, doesn't matter to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, and that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark of the name of the beast. Not only a mark, but also the name of the beast. Watch this. Or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. He is the, it is the number of a man... The number 666, which is, by the way, the number of a man. Now, not only does Satan counterfeit and control the people through religious deceit, the false prophet through political deceit, through the Antichrist, you know what he's doing now? He's implementing economic sanctions. Economic sanctions. And by the way, here's what he's doing. If you don't have the mark of the beast, if you don't have the number of the beast, you don't eat. You're going to starve to death. And so they're going to die. They're going to starve. They're going to be killed, those that don't receive the mark of the beast. But everybody that has the mark, the number, 
on their hand, right hand or on their forehead, they get to buy and sell. That's what he's saying in his text right here. It's the mark of the beast. Now, I want you to turn to Revelations chapter 20, verse 4. Revelations chapter 20, and look in verse number 4. Look at this. This is a powerful verse. Watch this. John speaking in the latter times, I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and they sat on them, and judgment was coming, committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast in his image, that's that statue, the image, and had not received his mark on their forehead or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Right? So there's some in the tribulation period who refused to take the mark of the beast and bow down and worship the image. They were slain, but they were resurrected. In a thousand years, they're going to reign with the Lord Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom. And so there it is. There's a picture of Satan, picture of the Antichrist, and the picture of the false prophet, the unholy trinity, how they work together during the tribulation period, and how the Antichrist is exalted as a one-world leader, a religious, political world leader that, that counterfeits Christ in every way and draws all of humanity who's remaining on earth during the tribulation period to him. And so, uh, the mark of the beast, I know you're wondering, what's this 666? Pastor, tell us what that is. Well, you tell me what it is. All right? We There's been thousands and thousands of biblical students who've attempted for a year to solve the mystery of 666 and calculated this and that. Uh, Hitler was, Hitler was uh, assumed to be the Antichrist. Did you know that John F. Kennedy and Henry Kissinger at one time were presumed to be the Antichrist? Yeah, that, so everybody's calculated this. This 666, we'll find out who he is. Well, the Bible doesn't say, neither does John, and so we don't know who the Antichrist is. But we know he's going to be a man because the number 666 represents man. And by the way, do you know what the number 7 represents? Perfection. And by the way, it talks about in Revelations 1 and 2 about the seven spirits of God. Jesus is the number 7. He's perfection. And by the way, the number 6 is one less than 7. Can I get a witness? You know what that means? It means 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That's exactly what it means. It means Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Regardless of what happens in the future, regardless of what happens in Revelation, regardless of what happens if you're a Christian, you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God and you're number seven. Amen? Now, if you're in this place today, if you're watching by live stream, and you've never received Christ as your personal Savior, you're a number six. I'm just telling you. You're right there with Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, a number six, because you have never met Jesus Christ, who gives us perfection in the last days, who raises us up, and gives us eternal life forever and ever, and we'll join him one day. We overcome Christ overcomes Satan. Greater is he who is in me. The Holy Spirit of God reigns in my life than he who is in the world. That would be Satan and his crowd. 
So as you bow your heads with me right now, just bow your head all over this building. Dwayne's coming and others are leading our worship. We're going to have an invitation right now. Now I want you to think about this. I know this is prophecy and we're talking about revelation. You say, well, is all of this true? Well, I believe the Bible's true, don't you? The Bible's true and what we're talking about is the future coming. And if you have opportunity right now, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We, we saw Jessica baptized this morning. One came to Jesus. Came to Jesus. Followed Him in believer's baptism. And now she's sealed for the day of redemption to be with Jesus forever and ever in a place called heaven. If you never did that, you're going to be separated from God. I just want to ask you today, is God speaking to your heart? Do you need to be saved? Do you need to have Christ in your life? What do you mean by being saved? It means Jesus died for your sins on a cross called Calvary. He rose again to give you everlasting life. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does that mean? It means if you believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you shall be saved. And with your mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What does that mean? It means we want you to come forward and just say, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus Christ. I confess my sin. In Romans 10 and 9, it's very clear whoever does that can be saved in your heart. But you've got to believe it. You've got to believe that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is real, and you need Christ. That you're a sinner separated from God by your sin, and Christ died for that sin if you'll only trust and obey and put your hand in the hand of the Master and give Him your heart this morning. Father, Lord, would you just move right now? Lord, I just call upon you, Lord. We've, we've talked about the prophecy that's to come. We've talked about the tribulation period, about the Antichrist and the false prophet, and about Jesus. But Lord, there's an end to all of this, and we'll get to it in the end of Revelation, how it all comes together, and how there's a judgment day. And all the lost people who refuse to believe in Jesus are going to be judged at the great white throne judgment and separated in a place called hell forever and ever and ever away from Christ and away from their loved ones who are believers. But all of those who put their faith in Jesus, they're going to be in heaven forever and ever and ever because they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I pray you would do that right now as you have opportunity. Father, would you draw us to you? Those who need Christ may come those who need a church family, we ask them to come be a part of this great church. Some may want to come and just pray at this altar. Lord, would you just move in a miraculous way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? Dwayne's going to lead us, and we're going to ask you to come and do business with God. This is a very important time. It really is for you and your eternity. I pray you would say yes to Jesus and no to the devil right now. As we sing, why don't you come?